would, take out the Bible that you brought with you, or if you didn't bring a Bible, take the one out in front of you and turn to our reading today. Um, We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And I'm going to read to you um, these verses as we begin, and then we'll read through them again as we go through our message together. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus entered again Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left for them, even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you, if you spend any time on social media, or I think of the recent predecessor, forwarded emails, is that a thing anymore? You remember that though, right? All the emails people would forward to everybody and you would just delete. Uh, from time to time, there are these viral messages that get posted that invite you to fill in the blank or tag your friends in hypothetical situations. For example, if you were stranded on a deserted island, tag the one person you would take with you. Or your cell phone only has enough juice to text one person. Who's the person you send a message to? I want to add one to that list based on the reading we read just a minute ago. It would go like this. Tag four friends who would fearlessly confront a crowd, hoist your paralyzed body to the summit of someone else's roof, daringly modify the structure, and gently lower you through it for the sake of healing. How many of you have four friends you could tag that you think would help you do that? Show of hands. Some of you do. How many of you would be one of four friends that would do that for someone else? So more of you would say that. And that's important because what we're going to learn here today is that we need friends like this. And we need to be friends 
like this. And I hope that we see how that's possible as we work through God's Word together. We're in the second week of our series, The Way is what we're calling it. Bill Gross began this series last Sunday, did a great job introducing us to what we're going to be spending a lot of time in, and that is the Gospel according to Mark. Uh, Two Sundays ago was Christmas Eve. It was the culmination of the first half of a a nine-month journey we're going through as a church um, that we're calling the big picture. It's taking us kind of kind of jumping from spot to spot chronologically through the Bible. And throughout the fall, we progressed from the very beginning of creation through human history's longing for a Savior to come and rescue the world from the consequences of sin. And the celebration that we had two Sundays ago was what happened 2,000 years ago when the long-awaited Messiah came as one of us born in the God-child Jesus. And yet his birth is just the preface of his life on earth. Jesus came to live with a purpose. And I'll share with you how that's articulated in 1 John chapter 4. It says this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son. He sent Jesus on Christmas to show his love among us that the world might live through him. When we go to verse 12, we see what this means for us. That no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. Where? Say it with me. In us. If I put that simply, it means that people see God in and through you. The way that we love completes the connection between a parched world and the love of God that has been poured out to us in Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so this series, The Way, is going to show us the way that Jesus instituted living by the way he lived and the way he taught and the way he healed and the way he died and the way that he rose again. In other words, the way is the story of Jesus' life told through the words of Mark and it's going to take us straight through Easter. And today we're in chapter 2. Last week we were in chapter 1. We're still at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And if you missed last Sunday because it was New Year's Eve and all of that, you might be feeling some whiplash, I recognize, because last time you were in church, Jesus was a baby, and now he's 30. (laughs) And then I think about any of you who are parents of 30-year-olds, and you're like, I'm not old enough to have a 30-year-old, right? And and yet here we are. And so you know how this feels. Um, But there's actually, this is kind of by design. We learned some of this last week. Mark is, is what you could call the most efficient of the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, He moves through details rather quickly. And one of the things I've learned about this book over the years is that if it is so short, then everything that's included must be of the utmost importance. Let me give you a little bit of, of, of context here to see just how short it is. In the English translation, this would have been written in Greek, um, the Gospel of Mark is just over 11 
thousand English words. And if you're not if you're not a writer, that might sound like a lot of words. But at this point in my sermon, I've already shared a thousand words with you, and my sermon is only thirty thousand words. So we're getting there. <laughs> it's it's not very long. But 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 seriously, a thousand words, eleven thousand words. If you had only eleven thousand words to convey the essence of someone's life it would be a very difficult task to do, never mind trying to do this for the Savior of the world. Let me compare to, to a biography that you may have heard of by, uh, about uh, a man named Steve Jobs. He's the founder of, of Apple, right? Uh, and he had a biography that was written about him uh, some years ago by Walter Isaacson that's over 283,000 words. And so you see, you see the difference here. If you and I had to condense every one of our life experiences, the lessons that we've learned, the wisdom that we've shared, the mistakes that we've made into 11,000 words, there would be far more left unsaid than the things that we include. And you know what this tells us? It tells us that we need to lean in and listen. It tells us that we need to lean in and listen to this entire series because everything, every word, every scene matters. And this is true for the entire Bible. It covers thousands of years in just a few short pages. But it is especially true as we're learning the life of Jesus in the words of Mark. And so we're leaning in. And last week we leaned into chapter 1 and we learned how Jesus called the first disciples. But before we even get to chapter 2, we're going to see the setting is set. He's got crowds of people coming to him for healing as he's teaching. Verse 32, um, just read this part with me. The evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. You can imagine he was tired. So very early, this next verse in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed, and Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. I, maybe it's just the season in life that I'm in. Every time I read that, I think about being a parent of young children and just trying to go to the bathroom. <laughs> everyone is looking for you. You can't hide, right? This is what's going on. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Now I'm sharing this with you to show you that Jesus is establishing his purpose. The very beginning, in chapter 1, he has come to preach and already the crowds are gathering around him and they don't quite understand what he's come to do. And they actually have expectations of him that are different than what he has come to bring. There's a tension building between who they want Jesus to be and who Jesus actually is. And the reason it's important for you to see that is because Mark wants us to see this tension because it's going to grow and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and eventually this is what's going to lead to the people killing Jesus because they think they know what they need, and he has not given them what they want. 
And so Mark points that out at the very beginning. And that leads us into chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left for them, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Just a few verses before, we saw that he's preaching because he's established that this is his purpose. But the people that are gathered there are there for more than just a good sermon. Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now just ask yourself, do you think that these five men, the paralyzed man and the four that are carrying him, do you think they were there to hear Jesus' words that day? I don't think so. I think they could have subscribed to his podcast, right? I mean, I mean, seriously, like, this is one of the reasons that a lot of people, you know, we've, if you look at the headlines, right, we, we are in a season where church attendance is in decline, and one of the reasons for that is not because people don't want to hear a message from the Word of God, it's that you don't need to come to church to hear a message from the Word of God, a teaching. But if you're here, or if you're online, especially those of you who are online live, I believe, and I think we all can articulate that we're here for more reasons than just the teaching. But this particular group of people and these five men were here for a reason that was apart from the teaching as well. And so we can relate to that. Verse 4, since they could not get their friend, the paralyzed man, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat that the man was lying on. Now, I just want to try to imagine this, okay? Some of you are smiling. I'm glad you are because think of it this way. Like, imagine you go to a concert of your favorite band, but you don't have a ticket. What do you do? I'll I'll say for me, anybody go to concerts at the Walworth County Fair each year? Show of hands. Um, I will, not a lot of you, so I'm actually among those of you that don't raise your hand. I will often be at the fair. I hardly ever buy tickets for the grandstand performances, but oftentimes they have really good bands that I really like. And so I'll be walking by and I'll want to hear them, right? And I'll come up to the fence and I'll even like stop and I'll look and I'll see if I can look over the fence and over the people, you know, all of that just to kind of catch a glimpse of my favorite band. Now, now, would I, would I break in to be able to see them? Would, would, would I vandalize somebody else's property? Would I climb up on a roof and break a hole through it? Would I do any of those things just to be able to see that band? Probably not. Would I do that if I thought I had a chance to meet the band? No, probably. Well, it depends on the band. <laughs> I mean, seriously, right? Like, you don't know what you might do if you had the opportunity to meet them, right? Right? These men believed they had that opportunity. They had the chance that was more than just hearing this good teaching from this rabbi. They're looking at the situation and saying, who cares about anything? Who cares about the roof? Who cares about all this stuff? My friend can't walk. 
And Jesus has been known to heal people like my friend if I can just get his attention. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus notices, and it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And we've got to stop right there because nothing in this story makes any sense. Nothing makes sense. And you won't notice it if you don't really dig into it. Jesus is teaching, okay? These men did not come for a teaching. They came for a healing. They lift a grown man up to the roof of a house of a person that is not one of them. They don't know who this is. They bust a hole through the top. I mean, like, I have so many questions. Like, Steve, who was up here before, his day job is in insurance. Like, does homeowner's insurance cover this? Is this... I'm, I'm just curious, like, is this an act of God? I mean, Jesus was God, right? Like, like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering so many things in all of this. this. This is an audacious act among these people as they get the attention of this crowd that has been gathered, and they're all focused, this crowd, they're focused on Jesus who has come to teach and, and I can personally relate to this, right? Because it's something I do too. I'm a preacher as well. Uh, I'm not nearly as good as Jesus was. That's why I just read to you what he said when we get together on Sundays because that's what we do. But I can tell you that, that it takes a lot when you're preaching to get distracted, um, actually, I wear an Apple Watch, and if you looked at my heart monitor um, during the sermons, you can actually see it goes up the same way it goes up when I go on my exercise bike. <laughs> my, and, and the reason why is the adrenaline's rushing, and I have prepared, and I am focused on what it is that I'm doing. And so what that means is that if you have a little baby that starts to cry, don't worry about it, because I'm probably not going to notice. It's cool. We like that sound in this church. We think it's great. If your phone goes off, and you're like, oh, no, and you turn it off, and you're looking around, you're all embarrassed, right? Maybe the people around you might notice, but I probably won't get distracted by it, because I'm focused on the teaching. Now, if the alarm system starts blaring, we're on the corner of, of an intersection. If a car comes barreling through and hits the side of the building, if somebody comes in and starts screaming their lungs out, well, those are the kind of things that are probably going to stop me, and those are the kind of things that are going to stop you too. And it was that kind of a disruption that stopped Jesus. And yet when he saw these men lower their friend through the roof, what he saw in them was not a disruption. What he saw in them, what was so disruptive, was not the act. It was faith. It was their faith. And it wasn't just faith. It was faith of the men that were carrying the paralyzed man. Remember the question that I asked you at the very beginning. Tag four friends who would do this for you. Most of you couldn't do it. Jesus saw them. And he saw these four friends. And he saw the man who was paralyzed. And he says to the man who was paralyzed, to, in response to their, his friend's faith, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Let's, let's say those words with me. Your sins are forgiven. And I think about all kinds of questions that I have. Like, 
Like, we don't even know if, if it's their faith that forgave him. Did the paralyzed man even know where he was going when they picked up his mat? Maybe he was asleep. Maybe he didn't want to go, right? Maybe he was screaming the whole way, like, what are you doing? Where are you carrying me? You're going to drop me. I mean, would you trust somebody to carry your limp body up onto the roof of a house that you've owned by a person you've never... I mean, seriously, who would you trust to do that? To meet a teacher that you've never even met or you aren't even convinced can make you well. But this man doesn't have a choice, does he? He's paralyzed. And so these four friends, they're committed. They're disruptive. And Jesus notices it. And he notices their disruptive faith. And he says to them, say it with me, your sins are forgiven. And that sounds great, except remember, this is a really confusing story, Forgiveness is not what the man came for, is it? This is not at all what they came for in the first place. Just ask yourself, do you think these four men broke a hole in the roof in order to lower him down into a confessional? I don't think so. That's not what they came for. They lowered him down into the house so that he could walk out of the front door for the first time, maybe in his life. They did not come for forgiveness. They did not come for teaching. They came for healing. And before we get all judgy on that, because forgiveness sounds really good, doesn't it? We're sitting in church Before we get judgy, because they've got these fleshy, worldly, human intentions, let's look in the mirror. When we come before Jesus, when you come before Jesus in prayer, or you ask somebody to come before Jesus with you, when we come before Jesus and we're paralyzed, we're asking him for healing too, aren't we? I mean, that's what I do. We ask God for healing. But here's the thing that we learn from this story, that when we come to Jesus... He gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. And the truth is, we may not even know in that moment what that need really is. What we see here by reading between the lines and asking the obvious questions is that this man had a sin that needed to be forgiven. And it doesn't appear to have anything to do with his physical condition. I want to say that because you could read this and think, well, he's paralyzed. Maybe in biblical times this is how it worked. God said, oh, you did a bad thing, and so therefore you can't walk. That is not what happened here. The author here does not say that that's what happened at all. And so what I'm saying here is he's not paralyzed because he's a sinner. He's a paralyzed sinner. He's both. He's got a physical ailment and... He's a sinner, and the reason that Jesus came to teach, the reason he said, I've come to preach, is he wanted the world to know that he came to heal both conditions. Both conditions, starting with the latter. Starting with the sin. He came to heal the guilt. He came to heal the shame. He came to heal the dark cloud that is hovering over the world and inside of every human heart from the very beginning of time, hardening it. And if you don't believe that that is a significant work that God has come to do, then I want you to ask yourself, next time you see someone who has a physical ailment, let's say, let's say you run into somebody at the grocery store who broke their arm. 
I want you to walk up to them and I want you to ask them, tell me about what happened to your arm. And my guess is that they'll answer your question, right? Even if you've never met them before, if they're walking around with a sling or something and you say, hey, looks like you got hurt, tell me the story. They'll probably tell you the story. They might even ask you to sign their cast. You could even maybe ask them some deep, intimate questions. You could say, could you show me what's going on on the inside? And they'll pull out their phone and show you the x-rays, right? Chances are somebody breaks their arm, they're going to have no problem sharing with you the details about their physical ailment. Now, let me ask you another question. Try to do the same thing by going up to somebody and asking about their sin. Hey, you look like you sinned today. (laughs) Why don't you tell me about it? What happened? Give me the details of of the double life that you're living that nobody knows about. Why don't you tell me the the intimate inside? Show me the x-rays. You have pictures of that sin, right? Nobody wants to do that. And you know how I know? Because we haven't all broken our arm, but you know why you're laughing? We've all sinned, haven't we? We've all sinned, every one of us. Nobody wants to show that to anyone. Nobody wants to show that to anyone, both sin and the broken arm. And the thing that we learn from this story is that they both matter to Jesus. The paralysis and the sin, they both matter, but the sin, the essence of what breaks our relationship with God and our relationship with one another, that is far more complicated than even the most complicated medical conditions that we can be facing in the brokenness in our bodies. And there were smart people that were listening to Jesus and they saw this happen and they knew that forgiveness of sins was far more complex than healing someone. And so they actually were thinking it and that's what it says in verse 6. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone. Remember what Jesus came to do, right? The preacher's going to preach. And here's how he's going to do it. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, Jesus is saying, I came to do the one thing nobody can do. I came to remove guilt. I came to remove shame. I came to remove darkness. I came to bring light. I came to bring grace. I came to bring forgiveness. And then Jesus says, you want to know by what authority I come to do those things? Here, let me show you. He says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and walk. (laughs) Go home. The paralyzed man got up, took his mat, walked out, in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Why? Because after Jesus healed the man of his sins, he healed his body too. And you know what that tells us? Jesus cares about all of it. He cares about all of it. 
You walked in here with sin and guilt and shame. Jesus cares. If you're paralyzed, Jesus cares. You got surgery this week, Jesus cares. If you haven't confessed something and it's breaking your relationship, Jesus cares. It's not that Jesus only cares about the spiritual things, that he only cares about the sin, and he doesn't care about the physical stuff. That's actually an early heresy called Gnosticism. It's not true. Jesus cares about all of it. When the paralyzed man encountered Jesus, Jesus gave him what he needed, and that was both a spiritual and a physical healing. And the promise is that when you and I come to Jesus, he will do the same for you and for me too. And so the way to apply this, it's very simple. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. It's, it's sort of like an altar call. And, and I think about, like, we're, we're a Lutheran church. I know a lot of you don't come from that background, but, but, but we don't typically do altar calls in Lutheran churches. Has anybody ever been in a religious experience? Show, I'm going to share my own, um, where you've had an experience like that, where you've had an altar call. Uh, show of hands. Several of you have been in a part of something like that. For me, it was... It was like 15, 20 years ago, I was at a big church, a big charismatic church in Illinois, and um, I hadn't been a Christian for that terribly long at this point, and it was this point after the message, it was this extended period of singing and worshiping that the pastor got up in the middle of it, and he said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, or if you need Jesus to heal you, if you need to encounter God, is this passionate invitation, he said, come to Jesus, He said, come to Jesus. And then he specifically said, come and and cross the line here before the altar. And and there was literally in the carpet in the front of the altar, there were two different colors. It was obvious that they must do this on a regular basis in this church. And as a former Roman Catholic and a recent Lutheran convert, I had never experienced anything like this before. And so I I did what what anybody would do who's never been a part of something like this. I just watched other people. (laughs) And, and I saw all these other people coming forward, and I started to think to myself, well, I, I'm secure. I know that, that I am Jesus's, and Jesus is mine, and all of that, and I'm young. I don't have any physical healings that I'm looking for, or, or mental, or spiritual, or anything like that. Um, but but I, I was watching these people experience this, and I thought, I kind of want to experience this too. I think I'll walk down the aisle. And so that's what I did. I got up my courage, I got up and I walked slowly down the aisle and I walked to the line in front of the altar right there on the carpet where I saw people who had crossed it and they were having this religious experience and and I walked up and I stepped to the line and I took a deep breath and I crossed it. You know what happened? I don't remember. (laughs) Seriously. I don't remember. (laughs) And it's not to discount the experiences of the people that came forward before I did who have had similar moments or maybe your own experiences. I know and I believe that God can work through those in all sorts of different ways that we may or may not have ever even experienced. But for me, that was the end of my story. And the way that I built it up for you, I have to apologize because I'm sure you were hoping for something different, weren't you? But here's the thing. You know who else was hoping for something different? The crowds that day around Jesus. 
paralyzed man on the mat, his four friends. And the only thing that mattered that day and the only thing that matters today had nothing to do with their expectations and everything to do with their faith. Faith that Jesus is the answer to whatever it takes to bring you healing. And instead of giving them what they expected, he gave them what they needed. And so I want to invite you to tell God, what do you need? Do you even know what you need? Come to Jesus. And if you don't have the faith to step forward and come to Jesus yourself, I'm going to take a guess that you're not alone. I struggle with that too. And so I want to ask you one more time to participate by putting your hand up. How many of you are willing to have the faith that Jesus can give the person next to you what they need. Put your hands up. Look around. Because if you're struggling with something and you're doubting whether or not Jesus can heal you, there are many more than four friends sitting here in this place that will pick you up and carry you to the altar of God so that Jesus will give you what you Amen. Amen. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen.